Hello, and welcome to the Data Science Salon Podcast. I'm your host, Q McCallum, AI consultant, writer, and senior content advisor at Formulated By, which is the company behind this podcast. Now, people who know me, they know that I am a big fan of economics. I find marketplaces and price discovery and all of that to just be absolutely fascinating topics, which is why I was so happy when today's guest accepted my invitation to join the show for an interview. Dr. Amar Nat is an economist at Econ One Research, and her work focuses on advanced analytics and predictive modeling. Now, maybe that sounds like machine learning to you, and kind of does, right? So in this interview, uh, Amar explains that there are definitely some connections between the two, and she also tells us about techniques economists can learn from data scientists, as well as what data scientists can pick up from Econ. Two words causal inference. You heard it here first. And with that, let's get started. I'm a big fan of what a lot of people call the dismal science. I think it's a fascinating study. And I'm very excited to have an actual economist on the show to talk to me about a topic I find interesting and to talk about how it connects to the world of data science, how they're similar in some ways, and how they differ. So given that, welcome in. Hi, thank you. My name is Amar Nat. I am an economist by training. I have a PhD in economics, um, and I specialize in econometric modeling for business optimization, which is the uh, fancy buzzwordy way of saying I do advanced uh, statistical and econometric models for clients using their data to help them either book financials or um, allocate resources, uh, deploy logistics, things like that. While I, what I do is not necessarily strictly data science, and I don't know what strictly data science means, um, I, I think most people consider what I do pretty data science-y because I'm just, I'm taking client data and I'm doing all sorts of fun and fancy models to help them either predict their future state or change their future state with causal inference modeling. There you go. And I mean, quite frankly, the notion of data science, it's a pretty fuzzy term anyway. I mean, whether someone falls under that umbrella, whether they fall outside of its coverage, I think it's a matter of maybe fun debate, maybe not, we'll see. But given that, given you've described what you do today, tell us a little bit more about how you made it into this field. Like, did you grow up thinking, I want to be an economist or how did that work? I'm, I would be truly concerned if anybody grew up thinking that they wanted to be an economist. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I grew up wanting to be an astronaut, but uh, here we are. No, so I, I studied econ in undergrad, um, and I worked at a social science research lab um, at UCLA, uh, where we did a lot of applied data work. And it was run by an economist and a sociologist, and we were handling what was at the time a pretty large database for social sciences, it's, you know, a couple terabytes. Um, and it had, you know, data on grants and patents and articles from Thomson Reuters and all sorts of, of stuff. And when our computer scientists left for greener pastures at uh, Disney Interactive, um, I ended up in charge of this database with no real training. Um, and so I kind of got plunged very quickly into the work of 
hands-on data handling um, and setting up data for modeling purposes, since again, I was working with an economist. So I, uh, I ended up deciding that that was what I really loved doing. And so I went to graduate school specifically with the intention of doing applied economics and applied empirical work. Um, it was always my intention to do applied data work. And uh, when I sort of finished my courses, I moved back to California and took over running that lab while I was working on my thesis. And then, uh, yeah, just I, I stuck with it. I, I had a minor detour into a field called transfer pricing that we needn't discuss very much aside from the fact that they don't use that much data. It's interesting in its own right, but definitely wasn't for me. I ended up switching over to the um, applied analytics group at Ernst & Young, which is where I was working at the time, and then going out freelance uh, when a former colleague approached me with a rather large project that was just transaction level data that needed to be run through a binary choice model so that a client could predict redemptions for their loyalty program and thus book their financials. Um, and so that's kind of how I fell into this line of work, but it's, and I, and I love it. I it's applied data work is what I want to be doing and what I will always want to do. Now that said, I work with, uh, at a firm where most people do expert witness work, which is quite different. Well, quite different in that they are, they're testifying, they're doing depositions, but they are also doing large scale econometric modeling to try and figure out in a world where this person or where this company had not fixed prices, what would the price have been? What are the damages? What is the harm? Um, and so I do a uh, pinch hit on those types of models as well. I mean, I, I do all kinds of modeling work, but um, for the most part, uh, those are the, the two areas I kind of stay in is uh, business modeling and then you know litigation modeling. But yeah, it's a, it was a little bit slightly roundabout route. I, I, it's not uh, the most uh, traditional route for an economist, but I've had a fun career. And it sounds like you're still having fun, which I think is a big part of why we're talking today. So I do want to dig in and ask a few questions about some of the technical tools and techniques you use. But before we get to that, I figured it might be helpful for our audience as well to talk a little bit about what is the actual role of an economist? I mean, it's one of those weird titles where I'm sure a lot of people have heard the term economist. If you read enough of the business news, you're going to see the title used a lot. But I question how many people understand what are the day-to-day -day or even year-to-year -year responsibilities of someone with an econ background. Would you be able to share a little bit about that? Econ is interesting. It's one of those fields that everybody feels comfortable pontificating about with having absolutely no actual background in the field. Um, but I would say that if you are looking at sort of what are the, the biggest strengths of economists, it's that we're really well-trained to quickly understand new industries and markets and what the drivers of those industries and markets are. And so I really excel at identifying questions of interest for my clients, um, figuring out how to quantify those as outcomes, and then understanding sort of what the data generating process behind those outcomes are so that I can build a model. I, I would say, I was once asked, well, what if you've got 24,000 variables? How are you gonna do your variable selection? And it was by someone who had worked with, you know, more statisticians. And I said, well, that's a kind of a weird question for me because it doesn't matter how many variables I have. What matters is what variables do I think predict or, or explain 
what's happening here? What's driving this outcome? I come at it from a different perspective where I'm thinking about given the features of this market and this industry and this company and its position in this industry, what do I think are the salient factors I need to account for in a model of this process? Um, so I would say, yeah, I, I, if you're looking for what is the, the real strength of an economist, it's just that we're really good at jumping into new markets, new industries um, very fast. So far, a lot of what you've described sounds very similar to the role of data scientists I've seen, right? This notion of you walk into a, a given industry or a company, uh, someone explains their business model and their challenges to you, they hand you a data set, and you try to take that data, do something useful with it, whether it's trying to predict something, whether you're maybe you're trying to backfill holes in the data, that sort of thing. So given that, um, would you say that the work that you do as an applied economist seems fairly data science-y? Yeah, which is why it's funny you said I wasn't a data scientist, but actually a lot of people put me in that bucket. Um, my background is econ, but I think a lot of us would be considered data scientists because the work we do is functionally identical, right? We, we help clients leverage their data to understand the world around us. We use data to inform our decisions and our priorities. Um, and that's something that's, that's common across data scientists and, and empirical economists, at least. Right. Now I can imagine, though, there are some people who figure, well, you're not really data scientist unless you're tossing around lots of neural networks and that sort of thing. That's not my definition, but I'm sure that's out there. Um, given that, maybe you can talk a little bit about the tools that you use when you're building these models and analyzing your data. I'm guessing you're probably not reaching for TensorFlow first or last even. Or anywhere in the middle. Correct. Uh, <laughs> so um, I tend to think of, of data science as, as being a really broad term that encompasses a lot of things. And that's everything from sort of what's called AI to visualization. But obviously I focus on sort of the data analysis piece of that. And I, when I look at the data analysis piece, I think of that too as being in sort of three pieces. There's current state analytics, which is what is your landscape look like right now, right? Like what are your current sales? What's your current ROI, whatever. Um, there's future state where you're gonna wanna run predictive models to understand uh, what your purchases are gonna look like next week or next year, uh, what, what you're gonna need to stock next year, what you should invest in, you know, where you should allocate your resources for next year. And that's where you're gonna look for economists or statisticians. And honestly, for predictive models, they're about equivalent. And then I think about there's, so there's current state, there's future state, and then there's alteration of future state. And that's where causal inference modeling comes in. And that's where economists are really quite different from statisticians because it's all well and good to know that the price of cream cheese in China affects how many points are redeemed on a frequent flyer program. But I think everybody can agree that they aren't really, like it's not a causal relationship, it's a correlative relationship. And uh, where economists sort of differ and shine is that we're much more focused on trying to figure out what are those causal drivers? What are those causal uh, levers that our, our clients can affect? Um, so in terms of actual tools, I'm reaching a lot for Stata R. Um, some people use SAS, I really don't. Uh, Python, those are kind of what I rely on. But like if you're talking, for me personally, really advanced sort of panel data, um, causal inference models, like I'm using something like Stata. Stata, like the uh, big commercial package, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, you know, R is also very good, I, I think, 
I push my analysts to use R because I'm a really big believer in open source. However, I learned on Stata, and so I will admit that when I'm when I'm in a crunch, I default back to it. No, that that makes perfect sense. And something I've heard from a few statisticians who work in highly regulated fields is that as much as they would like to use open source, sometimes they are effectively not permitted to do so, right? Because um, certain commercial statistical packages come with a certain degree of guarantee or at least confidence within that given line of work. And so the view is if we switch to R and the numbers come out even slightly differently, right? People will not trust our work as much. Do you think that would be an issue for the work you're doing with Stata or is it just mostly that this is what I've used before, this is where I had mem uh, muscle memory and therefore that's where I'm going? So it's fascinating that you bring that up because in litigation support, yeah, that's actually an issue that I hear a lot. You know, SAS is a large commercial vendor. They are backed by the company. If something goes wrong or if there's a bug, there's someone who is, you know, who we can blame basically at the end of the day versus in, in open source, you know, there's, there's not that sort of, A, you don't get support, which is you know, one of the big features of SaaS and Stata is you've got access to support, but you also, um, you know, if something goes wrong, you're still left holding the bag. And it, it's also interesting because I do work that is um, audited by one of the, the public accounting firms, whoever happens to be the auditor for my client. And I had never had an issue using, you know, Python, which is what I normally use because it's a lot of binary choice predictive modeling. Until very recently, when I had an auditor say, well, that's not one of our approved software packages for this type of work. We only have SaaS as an approved software package, to which I went, wait a minute, are you now allowed to dictate the type of software that your audit clients use? Because that doesn't seem right. But yeah, so it is It is a discussion. And yes, in, in highly regulated fields, that it, it's it's an issue right? Like it's something that we have to be concerned about. That said, I'm a big proponent of open source. And it, I always liken it to, you know, knowing how the lock works doesn't mean that you can open it without a key. I think open source is safe, reliable, and robust, partially because you have so many eyes on it at all times. That said, at the end of the day, whatever my client is comfortable with is the framework I'll work in. Um, and so when you're talking about why I default back to Stata, it's it's not really because of any requirement in my particular line of work. It's more just, you know, you you use what you came up with. And by came up, I mean like when you when you're when you're learning, whatever you learn first, <laughs> just using. <laughs> don't don't get me wrong. When you work in the technology space, especially, you're always writing that fine line between learn the new tools, sort of stretch yourself at the same time, relying on the muscle memory of something that you already know so you can very quickly and efficiently get your work done. I think figuring out how to straddle that fine line is a mix of art and science, but I think there are a lot of right answers along that path as well. I agree. Also, there's something you said a couple of minutes ago that really, that really caught my ear. You talked about this notion of, as an economist, you're very much focused on the causal side of the work you're doing. And I think that's a very interesting distinction uh, between what you do and what a lot of data scientists work on. And I'm sure some listeners will sort of perk up their ears right now and say, hey, as a data scientist, I am very interested in causal effects, and that's true. But when you look at wide swaths of the data space, 
we are less interested in the causal side of things. We're more interested in, okay, we have found enough of a correlation to make some sort of decision. Let's move on it. For example, if we're talking about building a recommendation system, yes, it would be nice to know why people make certain decisions. On the other hand, we've built a system where we can find some correlation between person A and persons B, C, and D who have bought similar items. We just say, well, they were similar enough. We can present this item in a recommendation to person A. And therefore, the correlation is good enough. The causation would be nice, but it's not necessary. Given that, I would love to learn more about why the causal side is so important for the economics work that you do. So I will caveat this by all the economists saying all the economists out there are going, well, can you really do causal work without doing experiments? And um, no, but you would be amazed at how the experiments I can run. <laughs> um, one of the great things about the large volumes of data that we generate every day and the fact that most of it is generated through some sort of web interface is that you can do a lot of like A-B tests. You can run a lot of sort of small experiments. Anyways, that's slightly off topic. Um, so I think what you're talking about is, is again, it's the predictive, right? Like what, what they care about is being able to make that recommendation. What I'm talking about is being able to change that choice, that consumption decision. And I, I think that if you are, if your job is recommending, then you don't need to go any further, right? If you're the Netflix recommender algorithm, all you need to do is be really good at recommending things that someone's going to want to watch. And I think that correlative association is generally quite good there and it's, and it's good enough. And maybe you're not going to, you know, hit gold every single time, but as long as you're reasonably accurate in recommending things to someone, it's going to work. Although as a cynic, I will say, how would they know if you're not very good at recommending something because they're not able to see all of the things you're not recommending very easily because it's quite hard to see all that stuff. Anyways, but I, I more focused on uh, with my clients, they're saying, okay, well, we know what's correlated with uh, the, the choice of redemption, right? With, with a user of a frequent flyer program choosing to redeem points. But we want to change redemption channels. How do we do that? We want to change who's redeeming. We want to change, you know, credit card uptake. Like they, they're not just interested in being able to accurately predict anymore. They've moved on to that next step of like, okay, now how do we change the consumption decision? And uh, I will admit that in a lot of cases, a lot of the causal factors are things that my clients cannot affect. So for instance, um, you know, the, the cost of accommodations in the city of, uh, in the destination city or, uh, I don't know, weather. But what we do is we build models that take into account these big effects or these big, big levers or drivers, but then also all of the small drivers that my clients can affect. And then that gives them the ability to decide, okay, we want to focus our efforts here to, to change the outcomes for this subset of consumers. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense to me. Now, that, that was a great answer. And so you've got me thinking about this a bit more. Uh, this one small question for you, then I'll swing back to the larger questions. You know, thinking back to some conversations I've had with other people who have had data science-like roles, but who weren't quote-unquote officially data scientists. You know, uh, for example, statisticians come to mind. I remember conversations I've had with some statisticians over the years where, where they were a bit frustrated by the notion of data science, you know, their view was, well, wait a minute, that's pretty much 
the work I was already doing, why is this a new title, right? Why do we need a new title for this work that's already been around for ages? Have you seen a similar sentiment among the economist crowd or no? So I would say that I agree with those statisticians. A lot of data science is stuff we were already doing and have been doing for years. And it's just being given different names that sound way better than what we were using. But up until I would say the last couple of years, and maybe this has changed a bit, but I think it's still the case. I mostly still hear economists sort of, they don't really see where they fit into data science, right? Like they don't quite get how they fit into the data science ecosystem. And it seems so obvious to me as an economist who works in what is called the data science space that, you know, we, we've originated a bunch of these techniques. Of course we belong here. Um, but economists that I've spoken to have really ha struggled to sort of understand like, well, well, how do we fit? Like, why would I, why would I do data science work? Why would I apply for a data science job? I, I'm not a data scientist, I'm an economist. And, and so I think there's sort of a, there's almost an intimidation factor of like, well, do we really belong here? Like we don't do neural nets and we don't do AI and what is this stuff? And then I start going, okay, but what about time series analysis? What about panel data analysis? Like that's, that's our bread and butter. We do that stuff all the time. And, and they go, okay, well, yeah, that's different. But like, I don't, you know, really did, should economists be doing data scientists, data science? And I'm like, wait, we, economists are, <laughs> uh, what? Uh, I don't understand how you can be an economist and not be doing data science if you're using any of our applied techniques. That is interesting to hear though, that you, you said that uh, some economists you've, you've met, they don't feel that they fit in, even though they've been doing this work all along. And I think, look, not to tell these people how to live their lives, right? They're going to do what they want to do. But my take is that is precisely why statisticians and economists and other folks should apply for data science jobs. Because on the one hand, have you spent a lot of time working with neural networks and all of that? No, that's fine. But do you bring with you a depth and a breadth of experience as far as best practices for analyzing data and avoiding common mistakes of people analyzing data? Yes. Uh, if I were building a company, would I be very comfortable bringing in people who have quite a bit of experience of applied statistics and applied economics working in data science, I would hope so. Yeah, and what fascinates me actually is, is those companies that keep economists separate from data scientists, right? So like Amazon is one of the largest hirers of PhD economists and they have an entire economics division. They embed empirical economists in their product groups, but they actually have an entire data science division too. And I'm kind of like, well, wait a minute, aren't they, what? <laughs> So what are the data scientists doing? <laughs> I haven't quite figured it out, but they are not the only company that operates that way. There are several companies now that have economists separate from data scientists embedded in their product divisions that are doing, to me, what seems like data science work. And, and you know, part of me is like, I, I sort of suspect that the economists just want their title right? Like they want to be called. <laughs> Listen, I'm not sure what it is, but I have noticed that there is like, there's, there's a thing among economists of wanting to have their title. And I'm, I'm like, okay, <laughs> sure. You, you earned, you earned that doctorate. I, I, if you want to be called an economist, that's fine, but I'm still not sure what you do that's different from data science. 
But you raised an interesting point there. Um, one of the things I've noticed about the data science field and, and the wider tech field in general um, is that there are barriers to entry, but there are rarely academic barriers to entry to get a job in, let's say, software development or machine learning or that sort of thing. Like, and there, look, there are some companies that they do prefer that their data scientists have PhDs, but it's hardly a, a global requirement. Whereas to be called an economist, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're supposed to actually have a degree of some sort in econ, preferably a terminal degree in econ, right? Yes, but think about going back to what I said at the beginning, where economics is one of those things that everybody feels comfortable pontificating about with no actual background <laughs> in the field. Uh, honestly, I've seen people who have, you know, talking heads who call themselves economists who have the last econ course they took was intro micro in undergrad. And their qualifications are just worked in business and was reasonably successful. So, I, I mean, I agree. I think that that is generally agreed upon as, as the requirement to be called an economist, but that's not necessarily what, you know, everybody thinks of. I, I don't think that, I don't think that the lay person would see that title of economist and assume that you have a terminal degree in economics, just because I think anybody who does economist type work is called an economist. Yeah, I can definitely see your take. Um, part of why I'm bringing this up is because I can imagine that someone who does have that terminal degree in economics, their view is, I spent so many years working for this title. I want this title. Please don't call me something else. Even though these something else, maybe it's getting a lot more time in the news cycle. I don't know. People, decisions, it's what they do. But you bring up another question, actually, that I was going to ask, and you've kind of touched on it. But we'll dig on it a bit more. So you mentioned that you've seen in a number of companies uh, where the company will separate the economists from the data scientists. So my question to you is, what sort of experience have you as an economist had working with data scientists or, or have you had experience working with data scientists? I work mostly with other economists and with statisticians, but I have worked with data scientists or with the larger in the larger data science ecosystem. And I would say that Generally, in that space, it, to me, it means that I'm working with someone who is outside of my area of expertise. I'm so to me, I think of things like AI, deep learning, neural nets, things like that. Like that, a lot of that is either hard statistics or hard computer science. And I always used to laugh at like the job postings I would see looking for like the unicorn data scientist who is somehow. <laughs> like got a PhD in computer science and a PhD in stats or econ and is great at visualization. And it's like, you just described four separate people easily. Um, so I would say, you know, when I work with data scientists, I, I, I generally to me means I'm working with people who are experts in areas of modeling or data work that I don't specialize in. So that would be visualization. That would be like AI. Um, that would be, um, I don't really do a lot of neural nets or deep learning. It would be those sorts. Of, I don't do a lot of black box techniques. So those types of, of analysis or data usage. Yeah. I, I, but it, I think any of the economists that I've worked with uh, would not necessarily be upset at being called a data scientist generally would just be like, yeah, I guess, I guess that's what we do too. Um, where, where I think, I think it sort of trips us up is that I think that a lot of economists don't look at data science job postings thinking they're not data scientists. And I'm like, no, trust me, it'll open up a whole new world of possibilities for you. So tell me more about that. When you say that 
economists taking on data science jobs would open up possibilities for them. What sort of opportunities and possibilities do you mean? So I would say that when I, granted this was a decade ago, but when I went onto the job market after finishing my doctorate, um, generally the process in econ is that you take uh, what's called your job market paper and you send it out to a whole bunch of companies who have all signed up to attend the American Economic Association conferences. And you basically apply to everyone and anyone who's going to be there. And then they all do interviews at this conference. It is as horrible as it sounds. And <laughs> when I went on market, all of the jobs that were being advertised were for what I would call theoretical economists and not applied economists. I think, you know, to be an applied economist, you have to have a strong understanding of the theory stuff. But I am not by my nature a theoretician. I don't sit here and, and think about abstract conceptual economic frameworks. That's not my skill set. That's not my interest. Um, but there weren't a lot of jobs targeted at the type of applied empirical data work that I had A, done for my thesis, and B, wanted to do as a job. And so that's why I detoured into transfer pricing, because I was like, well, I guess this seems kind of interesting. I guess it would be a nice change from what I'm doing. Uh, and then, you know, a couple years later, when I was burned out by life at the big four and by working on stuff that I wasn't passionate about, um, I started looking around again and realized like, oh, wait, all of the stuff that I really love to do is now being called data science. And that's where I should have been looking to begin with. And um, I think that it, it gives us access to to me, such more interesting projects and problems and questions and frameworks. And maybe you won't be doing quote unquote traditional economic work. And maybe it's gonna take a little while before you, know, you get to the point where you're doing a lot of fun experiments or causal inference modeling. Um, but the things that I've learned about data engineering, data pipelines, data management, um, visualization, um, you know, just, fields that are adjacent to mine, but that I was never formally trained in has been so valuable to me. And so, yeah, I think that, that there are so many possibilities that open up if you, if you're willing to, you know, branch out from just sort of the econ job postings. I agree. And building on that, well, since I'm talking with economists, right, we can talk about markets. There are two sides to that market, the job market. Yeah. Um, the one side of that job market is the applicant, the economist who is looking around thinking, maybe I should try this data science thing. That's the one side. The other side of that is the prospective employer. And this is something I encountered speaking with a few quant and some other people from, from, from the uh, financial sector in the early days of what we now call AI and machine learning, is that they would say this machine learning thing, this AI thing, it sounds kind of like what I'm doing already, working and trading. I should yeah. apply for jobs there because their view is exactly what you said, which is, well, this is what I already do. Someone else is calling it something else, but I recognize what this is and therefore I'm qualified for this job. Let's go. And they would go on job interview after job interview only to be told that, you know, you're not really qualified to be a data scientist because you don't have skill A, B, and C. And we would, would sort of hear these responses and think, what are you talking about? Here is someone whose entire job has been building code and models around automated decision-making, handling real money, and it would be more than valuable in the data science organization, but the employers didn't see it. So my question to you, and maybe you don't have an answer for this right now, I don't know, but my question to you would be, 
if you were talking with an employer who has some data science job openings, what would you say to them to help them understand the value in looking at an economist who maybe doesn't come from the traditional data science background, if there is such a thing, uh, who doesn't have a lot of TensorFlow and other neural networks on their resume, but still has lots of data talent? Like, how would you express that to a prospective employer so that they too can go off to the job market and look at economists? I mean, I think my question to them is always just, what do you value more? having some really cool buzzwords and people who can use frameworks that don't matter at all for your particular business and your data setup, or having someone who is not only able to take your data and work with it and come up with ideas and insights, but is also able to translate that into the business language that's valuable at the stakeholder level, right? Because again, economists are trained to understand markets and industries. Part of that is being able to communicate with business level stakeholders about what the data is telling us and the decisions that the data is informing. And I think that so many data science type projects right now don't get deployed because people aren't able to communicate their value or their purpose. And I think that if you hire an economist, you're you're ahead of the game because you've got somebody who is already framing all of their data work within that larger concept of a market or an industry or an economy. And so that, that's kind of the sell I would make to clients. I actually think with early data science hires in particular, you should be focusing more on someone who is maybe doesn't have, you know, TensorFlow experience, but is able to actually create actionable insights with your data and then build from there. One of the common concerns you hear about data scientists as a whole, at least from the hiring side, and something that prospective employers at least claim they look for in a data scientist hire is the ability to communicate and an ability to speak about their results and their findings in a language that the business side of the house understands. And it sounds as though these companies would effectively get that for free by hiring an economist. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways they would. And and I also think that, you know, for companies that are large enough to have like full-on data science divisions, if their projects aren't getting deployed properly, that's part of a larger sort of tendency of cross-organizational projects to fail. And that's like that to me, that's a management failure. You don't have people running the division who are able to take the results that these data scientists have come up with or take these models that these data scientists have come up with and communicate their value enough to get them fully deployed. Um, yeah, I think that you're exactly right. You're ahead of the game if you're choosing an economist because they're already sort of trained to communicate in the language that business leaders, that C-suite types are used to using. Thank you for that. Yeah, I didn't mean for this to turn into a how to hire an economist episode, but some of the stuff we're talking about, it's, uh, it's really resonating. And I think related to that then, it might be interesting to hear your thoughts on the sorts of things that economists could learn from data scientists, whether they plan to take on that data scientist title or if they just want to see what other data people are working on, what sort of, what sort of things they can borrow from the data science world. So I think economists can learn so many great new techniques and approaches. I think that in terms of, of approaches that are used on very large scale data, um, there are so many new ones that are coming out in the data science field, you know, sometimes from, even from economists like Susan Athey, like that are amazing and interesting and could be so helpful to them. 
Um, and it, for instance, a simple example from my own work is I run a lot of logistic regressions and I use, you know, predictive accuracy, pseudo R, um, and those are very economist, econometric type things to look at. And uh, one of my analysts goes, well, why don't we do K-fold cross-validation? And I go, oh, you know what? That never occurred to me. You're right. That's a great idea. And that's more of a data science technique. That's not really an econometrics technique. So I think that economists, we, if you're doing applied data work, look over at those data science peeps because they've got a lot of great stuff that we can borrow. I think in the other direction, data scientists can learn a lot of really good time series and panel data techniques from economists because we've worked with that data basically forever now. And they can learn a lot about causal inference analysis and design, uh, which I think more and more clients are going to be interested in pursuing. I think that you know, now that we've got a lot of the predictive stuff sort of down and being deployed on more, a wider scale for a large number of clients, um, that's going to be the next step is they're going to want to be able to change those predictions or change those outcomes. And uh, I think that economists can really help data scientists there in, in sort of how to approach that question and, and how to handle that problem. Um, so I think that, you know, if they're, if they're looking for some, some techniques on that side, that's where economists will come in handy. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I mean, I think something, and I, we'll see where this goes, right? But something that I expect will start to happen to the, to the wider machine learning, AI, data science, whatever field over the next few years, is that we're going to get away from just the point estimate, right? We've, we've spent the past 10 or so years as an industry getting really good at predicting the one specific thing, getting to that one point estimate. And I think to your point, moving beyond that, moving to more of the causal side of things, seeing what you can learn from and how to use that to influence change. And also something as simple as understanding what's the spread around that point estimate, something that uh, people doing Bayesian data analysis are very, very familiar with. Yes. I suspect those sorts of techniques are going to become very popular, you know, once companies they get over this initial taste of, oh, we can predict things and get a point estimate. And they're going to want to learn more about, well, how sure is that point estimate? And I think that's going to become very useful. So point thing, I think you're right. I think that those are the sorts of techniques that data scientists can definitely pick up from economists. It's fascinating that you brought that up actually, because uh, in one of my earliest projects of this type, I came up with a with a spread. I came up with a range of values that I thought that they're, they're expiration or breakage rate could take based on um, different parameters, right? Like different scenarios. And they came back to me and they're like, this is just super helpful and really informative, but to book financials, we need a specific number that we can plug into all of the cascading Excel workbooks. So <laughs> can you give us a point estimate on this? And I was like, I mean, why don't you just take the midpoint? It's good, it's good, good a choice as any, I guess. But it was, it was just funny because I it was just a new way of thinking to me. I was like, it's, I'm estimating a distribution. It's, I don't know, like it's all, it's all probabilities, you guys. It's not, uh, but yeah, no, I, I do think that, that we are moving more and more towards being able to incorporate that spread and that flex in uh, more in our decision-making to, to help us out. And we are moving away from that point estimate world, but the, there are still many clients out there who are gonna be like, okay, this is really informative but I need a number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think, I think we'll see a cascade throughout yeah. the industry and throughout different industry verticals in the same way that this notion of being able to predict things had to sort of cascade its way through. 
as well. So it, it might take a few years, but I do think at some point we will look back on the days of the Point Testament and think, you know, why were we ever satisfied with just that, right? And how did we ever not figure out how to plug that into whatever models were going to be downstream or that sort of thing? Um, given that you've been very generous with your time, I don't want to eat up too much more of your day. I'd like to close it with just a couple of quick questions as we wrap up then. Step one, you know, like I mentioned at the top of the episode, I personally find economics to be a very interesting topic. I'm hoping that having listened to you describe what you do and the sort of work you take on, that a number of our listeners have also become interested. So my question to you is, as an economist talking to data scientists who might be interested in econ, where can they learn more about the subject? Well, everything from books they could be reading podcasts they could be listening to or any sort of papers you've written, anything where a curious data scientist can look at that and say, oh, wow, I'm learning something new about this field. Is this the part where I admit that I don't, I don't listen to, to podcasts from economists? No, okay. Um, <laughs> I, I actually, I actually don't though. Uh, but what I do keep an eye on, you know, it, it, it's, it's a tough question simply because I, I am, I am coming from a hard academic background in, in econ, right? Like I have a doctorate. So when I say I keep an eye on the NBER, National Bureau of Economic Research, their working papers, um, I keep an eye out on just sort of a journal of economic perspectives, like a lot of the large journals that are targeted at economists that are by economists. But aside from that, like it's a lot of just very specific, like I follow a lot of labor economists in my field, things like that. And I would say that it's so terrible. It's like people are like, so how do you stay abreast of your field? And I'm like, well, I read a bunch of academic papers, but I'm kind of fairly certain no one wants to read those. <laughs> um, yeah, other than that, I, I don't know. I, I occasionally pontificate myself on things like LinkedIn or podcasts such as this one. But, I, I, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I look at the National Bureau of Economic Research working papers. They have a, an RSS feed that releases every Monday of the new papers. And I just sort of get ideas of things I'm interested in from there. I think that sounds great. And I suspect that there are more data scientists out there who would find that interesting than you might think. But given that, especially given that you said you like to occasionally pontificate yourself, uh, for all of our listeners who have enjoyed today's podcast, which I'm sure is all of them, where else can people find you between LinkedIn, Twitter, anything of that nature? You can find me on LinkedIn. I am, I am active-ish there. Um, I honestly am not as active on social media as many, but I, uh, I, I have a Twitter, Economar. Um, I'm not on Twitter very often. I work for a company called Econ One Research. Um, we are actually getting ready in the next week or so to launch our new uh, predictive analytics and data science uh, website uh, where you will be able to see papers that I've written, blog posts that I've written, um, and uh, podcasts I've appeared on, you know, talks I've given, things like that. So um, you can just look me up on our company website. All right. That sounds great. I will be sure to include those in the show notes. So Amar, thank you once again so much for taking the time to chat with me and the rest of the audience about the fun world of economics and how it compares to data science and hopefully how the two can grow a little closer. Thank you for having me. All right, cheers. Cheers.